I'm Richard Carey and welcome to Years of Hurt, an international football podcast all about the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar. On this edition, we'll be taking a look back at all the matches in the round of 16, including England's match with Senegal. Remember, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Just search for Years of Hurt International Football. And you can follow us on Twitter at YOHFootball as well, if you like. Got a few bits of news to talk about. First off, that Raheem Sterling has gone home and missed England's game with Senegal after the burglary of his Surrey home. It's thought that Sterling will not return for the France game and we're not actually sure if he's going to return to the squad at all. On Monday, the police confirmed there was a burglary in Oxshot and had been contacted on Saturday at 9pm after Sterling's family returned home from an international trip to discover items missing. This is the one thing that seems to happen sometimes is when people know everyone's out, that's when you do a burglary, isn't it? And obviously if they're at the World Cup, they're definitely not in. So I do feel a little bit sorry, particularly for the family, but I'm glad that no one got hurt. And obviously, you know, everyone's all right. And that's the main thing, I think, with these things. Uh, a little bit sad for Raheem, who was, you know, in the starting 11 at the start of the tournament, but it does seem like England have got plenty of options in attack. You know, Foden, Grealish, who's constantly on the bench, Rashford, and obviously Saka. So they've got plenty of cover in those sort of wing forward positions. Ben White was also sent home after the group stage for personal reasons. We haven't really got anything clear about what's going on there. And the other thing is I want to talk about was the attendance figures in the in the World Cup. They've been somewhat inflated by the, the official attendance figures, that is. Some of them have been more than the capacity of the stadiums or been almost to the capacity, but then half the actual seats are empty. There has been a thing about whether they've actually got people turning up to these games, because apparently a lot of the games aren't full houses. I guess that's because of the controversy with Qatar and many people were concerned about travelling, and that seems to have reflected in the crowds itself. Having said that, one of the things people were saying online is that because they've banned alcohol, the actual atmosphere is a lot friendlier. You might remember at the Russia World Cup, England and Russia fans had a bit of a fracas, I think it's fair to say, and it doesn't seem like we're having those scenes again in this World Cup. There's still time, but it is looking a bit more friendly, and you need to notice there's like more families and stuff going to this World Cup as well. So we start off with England versus Senegal, an international match taking place for the first time. Despite criticism for their nil-nil draw with bogey team USA, England have had some impressive wins in the group stages, which made the Nations League seem like an anomaly. A dominant 6-2 win over Iran and a classy 3-0 win against neighbours Wales put them in top spot in Group B. Senegal had to fight hard with Ecuador to qualify. After a loss to the Dutch and a victory against Qatar, it came down to their crucial 2-1 victory against Ecuador. The three Lions faced off with the Lions of Taringa in a match that harked back to England's quarter-final match with Cameroon from Italia 90. In the first half, Foden had a corner. Stones headed the ball over the bar. 
Maguire lost the ball to Diata. He crossed to Dyer, who it fell to Saar, who put the ball over, but this was threatening from Senegal. Saar appeared to commit a handball, then played the ball to Dia, and it was a good save by Pickford. Probably won the count, and Var probably would have given that a handball. There was a great passing down the left-hand side from England. Kane played it to Bellingham, across to Henderson to slot the ball in to make it 1-0 to England. Pickford's goal kick landed with Saka. His cross to Kane was well over the bar. Bellingham won the ball midfield. He had a great game, played it forward to Foden. Across to Kane and a great finish with his right foot from outside the box. 2-0 to England and that's how it was at half-time. England 2, Senegal 0. That's Cease unable to bring it under control. Bellingham can as he strides forward over the halfway line. Foden with the ball into Harry Kane. Can England finish the first half in style? You bet they can! Harry Kane's first goal of this World Cup! So I've just watched the first half of England versus Senegal. I have to say, overall, it's very positive for England. 2-0 up at half-time with goals from Henderson and Kane. And two really good goals, actually, on the counter-attack. Jude Bellingham, once again, being a very key player in that midfield, setting up Henderson's goal and passing the ball to Foden to set up Kane for the second. So the goals have been brilliant. But before the goals, there were some worries England kind of, you know, I like the start of the game where England were kind of dominating possession and, you know, controlling the game. You, you found that, like, some Maguire and Stones having possession and defence, they got a bit nervy on it and they were starting to lose, lose the ball and Senegal were getting some really good chances, actually. They had a really good chance to take the lead, although a potential handball, that one, so it probably wouldn't have counted. But it does make you slightly concerned about defensive frailties of England. In terms of the scoreline, it's, it's brilliant for what you want it to be at halftime. I think that first goal really relaxed England. They're a lot better uh, for that last sort of five minutes of the first half. The other thing I'd say about the game that you can really hear the Senegal drums. They're really loud. But they did kind of quiet down when England scored. So I'm, I'm a bit worried that England fans are like Man United fans, a bit entitled. They don't really make any noise until they're team scores and then they're really happy about it, you know? So maybe maybe we're a bit entitled as fans. But it's a very good, strong foundation to go in and, you know, win this game from a 2-0 lead. So in the second half, Shaw played it to Kane. He had a shot from long range. The keeper nearly got done by the swerve, but he saved it. Kane played it to Foden. A low ball cross to Saka. He dinked it over the keeper to make it 3-0 to England. That's Saka's third in the tournament. That was a free kick from Saar, which went low, but Pickford made sure the ball was going wide. Rashford crossed it to Kane, but he couldn't reach it. Shaw crossed to Rashford at the back post, but he couldn't put it in. And at full time, it was England free, Senegal nil. Ball falls kindly for Foden. Rides the challenge of Sabani. It's three! Bukayo Saka! And it's a long, long way back for Senegal now. So I've just heard the full-time whistle, England winning 3-0 against Senegal. And a very assured second-half performance, I have to say. England controlled the game, the rest of the game, in that half. That third goal from Saka, set up by Foden, really just confirmed what we already knew, I guess, in terms of them going through. And it did get a little bit boring, in fairness, towards the end of the game, with it just being killed off. And I think Senegal were just given up as well, knowing that they weren't going to come back from a 3-0 deficit. 
but yeah, this is this is a very good performance by England, but it also is kind of an unknown because the level of competition hasn't been amazing. So it's difficult to know what that means going into the quarterfinals. The defence will be happy with the clean sheet Pickford. It's the third England game in a row with a clean sheet. The only two goals we conceded in, in the tournament have been against Iran in the first match. And England are also the top scorers of the tournament with 12 goals overall, which is by quite a margin, the top scorers. And obviously you've got Saka who's got three, Rashford's got three, and you've got Kane on the score sheet now, Henderson, Be- Bellingham, Grealish, all these players getting goals. So that's really positive to see. This reminded me of matches like England versus Sweden back at the last World Cup and England versus Ukraine at the Euros. A very assured performances, and particularly once they got the one goal they pressed on to get more goals after that. So it's a vintage Southgate kind of performance. Obviously, at the end, they got to rest players like Saka and Foden and Henderson and Bellingham, you know, for, for the upcoming quarterfinals. We turn our attention to see who will face England in the quarterfinals. France had been dominant in their first two games with comfortable wins against Australia and Denmark, but chose to rest several key players in a 1-0 loss to Tunisia in a game with nothing riding on it. Poland managed to qualify by the skin of their teeth. Their victory over Saudi Arabia proved to be the difference maker, and at one point they were due to qualify on fair play record only. France entered as strong favourites, but would big names like Lewandowski and on-form keeper Szczesny give Poland an unlikely victory? In the match, Berezicki put the ball across to Zelensky. It was well saved by Loris. And then Kaminski's follow-up was cleared off the line by Varane. A bit of a scramble there for France. Mbappe played the ball through to Giro. He slotted the ball lovely into the bottom corner. 1-0 to France and Giro has now become France's top goalscorer of all time as he overtakes Thierry Henry. In the second half, Griezmann had a shot from a free kick, but it was straight at the keeper. Poland won the attack, but Griezmann cleared the ball downfield. Giroud brought this ball down with a great bit of skill. He played it to Dembele, who passed it across to Mbappe. Mbappe cut inside, hit a hard shot to the front post for the second goal. 2-0 to France and a great goal there. Then Turan passed it to Mbappe on the edge of the box. He didn't have much space, but did a lovely turn and blasted the ball in the top corner at the far post, a fantastic goal to make it 3-0 to France. Deep into stoppage time, Poland were awarded a penalty after Upameko committed a handball in the box. Lewandowski took a terrible penalty which was saved by Loris, but had to be retaken as Loris was off his line. Lewandowski did much better with a second effort, scoring in the bottom left corner. Poland had pulled it back to 3-1 with the last action of the game. So the final score was France 3 Poland won. Mbappe once again on the swivel. Oh, majestic. Magical. Mbappe. A strike that oozes quality from a player who can't help himself but catch the eye. Well, following that poor performance against Argentina, Poland played much better here. They had more attacking threat, particularly in the first half. They did seem to tire a bit towards the end of the game. France showed class for Giro's first goal to make that breakthrough before half-time. Despite some early pressing from Poland, they were done in by the brilliance of Mbappe. Forget about Messi, this is the best player at the tournament. Blistering pace and incredible skill on the ball. 
His second goal in particular was sublime and he's put himself in pole position to get that golden boot now. The match ended in a similar pointless penalty fiasco to the England-Iran match. Lewandowski's first effort was bloody terrible. No wonder he missed that pen against Mexico. I wonder whether they changed the penalty taker after that, but he did score the retake, so that's something. While the goal was pointless, it does mean that France have failed to keep a clean sheet in all four games so far, which may be a problem for them later in the tournament when they're up against tougher opposition. So it has been confirmed that it will be France versus England in the quarterfinals of the World Cup, and it's clearly going to be both sides' biggest test so far. It'll be interesting to see how England line up in that game, Southgate has been known to use a sort of a 5-2-3 kind of formation against the bigger sides when he's worried about defence. And against Senegal, there were a couple of times when the defence was a little bit shaky, which better opposition might have made more of. So that's something to think about. Having said that, the three in midfield of Henderson, Bellingham, and Rice seem to play really well together. So you might want to keep those three in play and play quite a positive 4-3-3 formation and really try and take the game to the French rather than sitting back. Although England did show in the Senegal match that counter-attacking is one of their big strengths in terms of the first two goals coming from a counter-attack. For France, you'd probably have to put them favourites. Obviously, the winners of the last World Cup and even with their injury list of problems, they've still got some fantastic players in there. Rabio's also someone who doesn't really get talked about, but has been playing very well at this tournament. The veteran Griezmann, Mbappe, Giroud. The key to England's victory will be exploiting those French defensive frailties and trying to keep Mbappe out of the game. So it'll be interesting to see who they play sort of right back or what sort of defensive formation they line up with. I know Walker was... Struggling a little bit at times against Senegal. So it will be something to worry about because Mbappe's got that lightning pace to deal with. Although people say, well, France will probably win and people looked at the bracket of this tournament, very much predicted a France-England quarterfinal and this would be where England go out. I don't think it's as cut and dry as that. This is probably England's toughest game since the Euro final against Italy, which obviously they lost. Although Southgate has had a lot of success, he's kind of got lucky as well in terms of how the draw has gone in the Euros and in the World Cup, with really his biggest win that being against Germany, I guess, in the Euros. But that's against kind of a relatively poor German side, really. So overall, this will be a massive test for England and really a sign of whether they can use the positives they've already had in this tournament to actually be a a side of real quality. Well, a 1-0 loss to Cameroon didn't stop Brazil from topping Group G thanks to earlier wins against Serbia and Switzerland. South Korea were incredibly lucky to qualify at all and just about got there with a goal in stoppage time in their game against Portugal. It seems like they might, might have run out of luck facing Brazil in the last 16. South Korea lined up with a 4-4-2, which would definitely please Mike Bassett, although it didn't quite go to plan. It was great passing play from Brazil. Rafinha crossed it to Vinicius Jr., who slotted it away to make it 1-0, and it was quite a bit of a dance celebration here. I can't really describe it over audio as well. You might as well just go and look at the footage. Brazil got a penalty after a foul on Rickalson by Young. 
Neymar scored in the bottom right to make it 2-0. Another stutter run penalty. We saw that also for Robert Lewandowski, which didn't quite work, but this one did. Huang had a speculative shot from 30 yards out, but it took a great save by Allison to prevent the goal. There was some ridiculous skill by Rakalson as he controlled the ball on his head. It's like watching Ranaldinho or something. Thiago Silva passed the ball back to Rick for a great goal to make it 3-0 to Brazil. Spurs on fire at the World Cup. There was a counter-attack from Brazil. Neymar played it to Vinny Jr., who crossed it to Baqueta. Brazil were 4-0 up in half an hour. It's just like watching... Oh, wait, we are watching Brazil. Baqueta almost had another one, but it was saved by Kim. Rakalson missed a bit of a sitter and should have really squared it to Neymar for an easy tap-in. At half-time, a dominant performance by Brazil, 4-0 up against South Korea. In the second half, the ball went over to Son. His curling shot was saved by Alisson. Rafinha had a left-footed shot saved by Kim. Neymar played it to Rafinha for a great chance and another save. The ball pinballed across the Brazil box after a shot from Huang, but it didn't go in. A free kick fell to Park and it was an absolute belter. Foot like a traction engine to make it 4-1. They might be out of the game, but that might be goal of the tournament. Brazil was so in control this match, they took off their goalkeeper, Alisson, before the end of the game. And at full time, it was Brazil 4, South Korea 1. Richarlison juggling away. Nicely done. He might get it back. He does! Oh! is Brazil in a nutshell. That is a gorgeous goal. What can you say? Brazil were bloody brilliant, particularly in that first half where they raced to a 4-0 lead. First time a team has taken a 4-0 lead in half an hour since Germany did it in that game in 2014 against Brazil. Brazil looked like World Cup winners here. The quality of Rakalson, Neymar, Vinicius Jr. And also you got that defensive quality that Brazil haven't always been known for. I mean, Alisson played really well with some fantastic saves and obviously the rock in midfield, Casemiro. South Korea just got the tactics wrong. I do love a 4-4-2, but it was just wrong for this game. That's quite clear. They were very lucky really to even get through considering they just about got through by the skin of their teeth by beating Portugal. Maybe Uruguay would have given Brazil a bit more of a game, but I still would expect Brazil to get through. Japan shot the world with 2-1 wins over both Germany and Spain to qualify as Group E winners, despite a disappointing loss to Costa Rica. Croatia took time to warm up in this competition with a disappointing 0-0 draw of Morocco, followed by a 4-1 win against Canada, and then they held Belgium to a goalless draw to knock them out of the tournament. On paper, this looked like it could be the match of the round with two teams who like to attack. But could Japan's magic run continue? Japan had a short corner. They crossed it to Tamaguchi, but his header was wide. A mistake by Tomoyashi at the back. And Perisic's shot was saved by Gondo. There was a great cross from Ito, but no one got on the end of it. Endo put the ball through to Kamada, but he put it over the bar. A Japan short corner worked a treat this time as a cross to the far post fell to Mieda to make it 1-0. And that's how it was at half-time. Japan won Croatia 0. In the second half, there was a deep cross by Lovren into the head of Perisic, a great header, to make it 1-1. 
Modric hit a half volley and a great save by Gondo to prevent the lead. Kramaric crossed it to Budimir, a golden chance for the header, but it went wide. And Perisic's shot went wide before the full-time whistle. Japan won, Croatia won. It's the first lot of extra time at this tournament. Croatia do like a long knockout game, don't they? In extra time, there was a great run by Ito, but he went, but his shot was straight at the keeper. In the second half, Mayer's shot was wide, and after extra time, it was still 1-1, so it was the first penalty shootout of the competition. Unfortunately, Japan weren't too good at this. Minimo's pen was saved. It was a poor penalty to the right. Their second penalty was also saved by Likrovic. It was a bit better, but not amazing. Asano did get one back from them to make it 2-1, but it was Livia with a very casual pen that was saved by Gondo to keep Japan in it. Then Yoshida's penalty was saved, but finally Palisic scored with a decisive kick, and Croatia won the penalty shootout 3-1. Oh, and a wonderful wow. equaliser! An absolutely stunning header from Ivan Perisic. He moves level with the great Davo Shuka, his sixth World Cup goal. So I was actually at work during this match on Monday afternoon, so I only actually saw the highlights. But from that, I would say that Japan were quite wasteful with their early chances and really could have had like a 2-0 lead at the break to control the game and get through to the quarterfinals. Instead, Croatia got back into it the longer it went on, which is something of a routine for them when you consider they only got through all their matches to the final, the last World Cup, from extra time. It's sad that Japan are out as they've been one of the highlights of the tournament with their wins over Germany and Spain. I would love to see them against Brazil. That would have been a great underdog story. You'd think Croatia won't repeat their 2018 run with the kind of opposition they've got to face with a very informed Brazil in the last eight. Despite all the Ronaldo controversy going into the tournament, Portugal's star still made his presence felt in the group stage with a goal, and his former teammate Bruno Fernandes has also been informed, helping them to victory against Uruguay. Switzerland almost eked out a draw against Brazil but couldn't hang on, but it didn't matter as wins against Cameroon and Serbia were enough to take them through to the last 16. Who will come out on top in this all-European last 16 clash? Felix put the ball across to Ramos. He absolutely blasted it at the near post and in. 1-0 to Portugal. Shakiri had a free kick from far away from about 35 yards out and it just went wide. It was really close though. Great effort. A corner to Portugal was headed in by the veteran Pepe. 2-0. Fernandes played the ball to Ramos. It was a good save by Sommer to prevent a third. And at half time, it was Portugal 2, Switzerland 0. In the second half, Dallo's low cross to Ramos came off Sommer and went in to make it 3-0. Ramos again played it to Guerrero, who chonked it into the top of the net to extend Portugal's lead to four. Switzerland had a corner, a Ganji at the back post, stuck it into an empty net, pulled one back, 4-1. Surely they wouldn't make a comeback. Absolutely not, as Ramos is fed the ball by Felix and he chipped it over the keeper for his World Cup hat-trick, I believe on his first start as well in the World Cup. 5-1. Liao cut inside and a great finish into the corner to make it 6-1. And at full time, it was Portugal 6, Switzerland 1. Joao Felix. And Ramos! Oh! 
He has thundered that in! Well, it seems like Portugal are trying to compete with Brazil for performance of the tournament. They did two better in terms of the scoreline with a 6-1 win. And it turns out that Eric Ten Hag might have had a point with dropping Ronaldo as the Portuguese star didn't play and was replaced by Ramos. Portugal played with new freedom without him. Ramos seems like the breakout star of this tournament. He's really only had one game. I think a lot of managers will be getting his agent on the phone and trying to get him signed. There's lots of quality in the Portugal team, much like Brazil, really, with Fernandes, Joao Phoenix, Bernardo Silva, Cancelo, even the veteran Pepe putting a great shift. You do wonder if this Portugal side are better off without Ronaldo, and now he might play a more minimal role. He only came off the bench in this match. Well, is he going to have a bit of a strop? He didn't this time, so maybe that's something. Um, they've certainly got the best chance to win the World Cup in years, and they definitely seem better than the team that won Euro 2016, admittedly, in my opinion, in fluky fashion. Switzerland were just outclassed here. There's just no other way to describe it, really. It was a, they were a long way from repeating their heroics from two years ago against France. Well, no one expects the Spanish Inquisition and no one expected Morocco to top Group F with a surprise victory against Belgium in their second game and a 2-1 win over Canada. Spain started the tournament with a dominant 7-0 win against Costa Rica, but surprisingly went downhill from there after a draw with Germany and a loss to Japan. That 7-0 win proved very handy for goal difference, which sent them through to the last 16. Spain appeared to be the favourites, but it would be silly to write off the Moroccans. In the first half, Hakimi had a free kick for Morocco, but it was over the bar. Spain hit the bar after a Gavi shot, but it was offside anyway. Mazrui with the shot which was saved by Simon. Baffle crossed the ball in but the header was over the bar. Olmo had a free kick from a wide angle but it was straight at the keeper. A Solani free kick and the header was over the bar by Morata. Olmo had another free kick which almost ended up in the net but it was saved. And at full time it was Morocco nil, Spain nil. Extra time people. Chidira had a few good chances in extra time. Onaki's ball through to Jajira's shot was saved by Simon's foot. Spain had a cross to the back post. Sarabia blasted it across and hit the post. And after extra time, they couldn't be separated. Morocco nil, Spain nil, we needed penalties. Spain failed to score any of their penalties. Sarabia hit the post. Solana's shot was saved by Bono and Busquets' shot was also saved. Morocco missed their third penalty, but Hakimi scored the winner with a Paneka. Morocco won 3-0 on penalties and advanced to the last eight. Hakimi gets it done! Oh, what a moment for Morocco! Ashraf Hakimi! So I'm glad we saw some kind of upset in the last 16, even if we had to wait for a 0-0 draw that came down to a penalty shootout. Spain must take penalties even more than England do at this rate. Morocco, the only African side left in the tournament with only European and South American sides otherwise to make it to the quarterfinals. They deserved it. Spain kind of dominated the game in terms of possession and shots on target, but again, quite wasteful. You know, it seems like the tournament just went downhill for them after that massive 7-0 win against Costa Rica. Better luck next time, I guess. The first round of 16 tie on Saturday saw the Netherlands take on the USA. 
Both teams were unbeaten in the group stage. The Dutch got seven points out of nine with wins over Senegal and Qatar and a draw against Ecuador. The USA proved a tough side to beat with two draws, one win and only one goal conceded so far. Could the States provide an upset to a Netherlands side that hasn't set the world on fire? There was a golden opportunity that fell to Pulisic early. It looked like he was offside, but he actually wasn't, and his shot was saved by Nuppert. Netherlands put 21 passes together for an incredible team goal. Dumfries pulled it back to Depay for a brilliant finish, 1-0 to the Dutch with some total football. The ball fell to wear on the edge of the box for the United States, but it was saved by the keeper. I think it was a bit lower, it would have gone in. Just before the half-time whistle, a Dumfries cross, following a throw-in, fell to Blind, who tucked it into the corner of the net to make it 2-0 to the Netherlands. In the second half, there was a corner to the USA. Tim Reen's effort was cleared off the line by Gakpo. There was another dangerous Dumfries cross to Depay, which was saved by Turner. Depay's shot from outside the box was saved again by Turner. He followed up with a great double save from a De Jong shot and a Depay header, which may have been offside, but we're not really sure. As a dodgy back pass from the Dutch, it was picked up by Wright and it had to be cleared off the line again. Pulisic put the ball into the box and Wright got a flick on it with his heel. The ball looped up and into the net. Quite a remarkable goal as the USA pulled it back to 2-1. Blind crossed the ball in. Dumfries was free in the box to convert the volley. 3-1 to Netherlands. And if you are playing fantasy football for the World Cup, I hope you had Dumfries in your team. He had two assists and one goal in this game. At full time, it was Netherlands 3 USA won. Now Dumfries, Klassen bursting in there, but a chance which is beautifully taken. Well, however fit he is, Memphis Depay always capable of making an impact. So early on, it seems like USA were in the game with their high pressing style. They had a number of chances to take the lead and the Netherlands opener came against the run of play, even though it was a brilliant team goal. The Netherlands controlled the game after that, and although Wright's goal gave the US a glimmer of hope, it didn't last long when Dumfries killed off the game. Netherlands look a bit better here. They had more players get on the score sheet like Depay and are a real threat going forward. Perhaps they are improving as they work their way through this tournament. Van Hal's sides don't always play attractive football, but they do get results. So time to see who the Netherlands might have faced in those quarters. Despite their early slip-up against Saudi Arabia, Argentina went into their round of 16 tie against Australia as strong favourites after they turned Group C around with victories over Mexico and Poland. The Aussies had been impressive following their 4-1 defeat to France in the opening game with wins against Tunisia and Denmark. But could they pull off a massive shock here? Messi went on a jinking run. He got the ball from Otamendi and slid it into the bottom left corner to make it 1-0 to Argentina. The Messi fans love that one. In the second half, Suter played keeper Ryan into trouble. He couldn't get rid of the ball and Alvarez stole it and put the ball into an empty net to make it 2-0 to Argentina. Big mistake there from Ryan. Goodwin had a long-range shot. had a big deflection off Rodriguez and went in. Australia pulled one back thanks to an own goal. There was an incredible run by Bayich into the box. Martinez had a last-ditch tackle to stop an equaliser. Messi put the ball on a plate for Martinez at the other end, who skied the ball over the bar. Then Messi decided he couldn't rely on his teammates, so he had to pop himself from outside the box, which wasn't far off. Goodwin chipped the ball into Quoll at the back post. A lovely turn, and his shot was saved by Martinez. One last chance for Australia, 
And yes, Argentina have a lot of players called Martinez, at least three. The final score was Argentina 2, Australia 1. Messi, McAllister, Messi! I mean, this was a pretty incredible performance by Australia, all things considered. Some pundits predicted they would get thrashed here, but there was nothing of that sort happening. They took the game to Argentina in the initial stages for some really good chances. Messi's goal wounded them, and am I the only one who's getting a bit sick of people talking about Messi all the time like he's some sort of godlike figure every time he touches the ball? Like, I know he's good, I don't need to be constantly reminded of that. Though it was, in fairness, it was his 1,000th career game, so I guess they had to pay homage to that milestone. Messi scored the first one, of course, and I really felt bad for Ryan after that howler for the second goal, which was very similar to Borjan's mistake for Canada against Morocco. Why do defenders keep putting their keeper under pressure? He sort of made up for it with lots of excellent saves towards the end of the game to keep it 2-1. Argentina probably deserved the victory, and despite moments of brilliance, they still seem very beatable in this tournament. They don't have the dominance of a 2010 Spain or a 2014 Germany, but that might not stop them from winning this thing. They've got the Dutch next to contend with, so I expect that to be a close game with goals almost guaranteed at both ends. I think Argentina will go in as favourites, but you never know with the Dutch. Okay, so we just got time to have a look at the quarterfinals. On Friday at 3 o'clock, we've got Croatia versus Brazil. At 7, we've got the Netherlands versus Argentina. Should be a cracker, that one. Then on Saturday at 3 o'clock, it's Morocco versus Portugal. And the big game on at 7 o'clock Saturday night, England versus France. Well, I think looking from the last 16, you probably see the best two teams were Brazil and Portugal, which could face each other in the final if things go that way. We've got some really good ties. You know, Netherlands versus Argentina should be a cracker. Memories of the 1998 quarterfinal, which the Netherlands won, and also the 2014 semifinal, which Argentina won. So... And then obviously the 1978 final, which Argentina also won. So it should be a big game. It should be really quite close. Croatia versus Brazil, you would have to fancy Brazil there. Maybe if Croatia play it to extra time, it's always a favourite of theirs. England versus France should be incredibly tight. You know, it's really hard to say how good this England side is. Morocco versus Portugal. Like I say, Morocco have been pretty great in this tournament. And obviously, if they were to win, they would be the first African side ever to get to a semi-final. So that would be one hell of an achievement. But Portugal were absolutely fantastic against Switzerland, and you have to make them favourites here. I don't expect Cristiano Ronaldo to start this match. I'd be very surprised if you're going to drop a guy who's literally just scored you a hat-trick. So I think Ronaldo will once again be sitting on the bench for this one as Ramos, the new star for Portugal, has a run out. So it's really the business end now. We didn't get a lot of shocks, sadly, in the round of 16. Only the really the Morocco-Spain match was the closest thing to that. And we kind of left with the big guns. You know, we've got four former winners of the World Cup. We have two former finalists. We also have Portugal, who are semi-finalists, and Morocco, 
who are a bit of the unknown quantity. So, you know, f- five European nations, two from South America, and just the one from Africa. For those hoping for a new winner of the World Cup, I think your best bet at the moment would be Portugal. But you never know, Netherlands might have a good run still. So you might remember I am doing my random generated predictions for this tournament. And my round of 16 was a bit more accurate than my group stage prediction was in terms of the randomizer. So let's see how we got on. So we successfully predicted that Argentina would beat Australia, Brazil would beat South Korea, France would beat Poland, and Portugal would beat Switzerland. But got three wrong with Spain beating Morocco, which didn't happen, Senegal beating England, which didn't happen, and USA versus Netherlands. So it's five out of eight. It's okay. But what will the randomizers say for the quarterfinals? Well, I could tell you that it's predicting that Argentina will beat the Netherlands, which I suppose is probably what the bookies would say. Croatia would have a massive upset against Brazil and win. Now, the randomizer for the first time in this tournament has decided to back England to beat France, which I don't know if it's a bad omen or not, because literally, I think the the randomizer had England losing against Senegal and finishing like bottom of the group in the group stage. So it's got it all wrong. It's never backed it until now. So that might be a bad sign. And it also predicts that Portugal will beat Morocco. So that would leave a semi-finals of Argentina versus Croatia and England versus Portugal, that old chestnut. So we'll see how well that gets on. But thank you for listening to Years of Hurt. Remember, you can follow the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Just search for Years of Hurt International Football. And you can follow us on Twitter as well, at YOHFootball. We'll be back after the quarterfinals to look at whether England are still in the tournament and which big names got through, which ones went home. Until then, from me, Richard Carey, it's goodbye.